The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Sarah Barber is the definition of an artist. I can't remember meeting someone who is so uniquely creative, so unapologetically ambitious, so deeply analytical of their own emotions, with such an inspiring and powerful backstory. I flew to her house in LA to chat to her, alone, in her front room, at her kitchen table, and she opened up to me about childhood sexual abuse she suffered, the power of her intuition, a drug addiction she overcame, and much, much more. I think I fell in love with Sarah a little bit after this conversation, if I'm honest with you. And there's a reason I chose her to be the first guest on season two of The Diary of a CEO. She's real. Powerful, yet vulnerable. And she's already a superstar in her own right. She's amassed millions of fans online through her artwork and through her LA-based content creation agency, Posse, the likes of Gucci, Condé Nast, Capitol Records, and even Topshop have joined her movement. She hosts self-funded solo exhibitions internationally with tens of thousands in attendance. And she's had her work displayed in major art exhibitions all around the world with celebrity admirers including Emma Watson, Katy Perry, Diplo, Sophia Bush, just to name a few. Her powerfully liberating message has caught fire amongst our generation. Her work speaks to love, pain, heartache, rejection and everything in between. Everything we've all felt. And how does she do it? Why her? What makes Sarah so special? How can a 26-year-old Palestinian-Australian artist reach so many people and achieve so much so quickly at such a young age? What happened? What's driving her? Is it luck? You have to hear this. Without further ado, this is The Diary of a CEO Season 2, and I'm Stephen Bartlett. I hope nobody is listening. But if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Sarah, lovely to meet you. First of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for the time today. It's lovely to be here in LA with you in your wonderful artistic apartment. Um, I didn't really expect anything less, to be honest. Um, so thank you, first of all. Thank you for um, coming. <laughs> no worries. Um, so you're um, obviously incredibly artistic. When I, I was saying to you before, when I told the girls in our New York office that I was coming here, there was unmatched hysteria um <laughs> and on, honestly they, they they literally went crazy in the office and um before today I'd seen some of your pieces across Instagram and some of your, your other work across the internet but it wasn't until I saw their level of hysteria that I realized how much of a big deal you are to a lot of people and that's me being completely honest and so you know with creatives and artists like yourself I always think and this is again might be a naive thing to say that there are things that have happened in your life that have made you view the world through a different perspective or become more self-aware or more curious. What are those things in your life that you think led you to becoming who you're known for today? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, I grew up in Australia, in Perth with all my family and my background is uh, Arabic. I'm Palestinian and Jordanian. And so 
Uh, I grew up in a very conservative home and my mom was extremely Christian. She still is. And my dad was agnostic. So I had two conflicting views because one parent was telling me that I had to live with the fear of God in my heart Mm -hmm. and the other one was just very chill. So, but very strict in terms of like the culture, Mm -hmm. um, the Middle Eastern culture and what, what that meant. Um, so I grew up with a lot of restrictions, a lot of limitations and a lot of fear Mm -hmm. that I would essentially go to hell if I misbehaved. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with that, there was also things that was happening behind closed doors that, you know, aren't necessarily a reflection of my culture, but a reflection of men who are restricted to um, express their sexuality. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like a lot of the children in my family suffered because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was I was a victim of that too, and I wasn't aware of that until I, um, you know, I I didn't feel safe in my home. Mm-hmm. I had all these people around me, and I still felt like I was worrying for everyone. And I was constantly in fight or flight mode. I was constantly having panic attacks as a five year old. I didn't understand why, um, and I I couldn't feel safety in my home, so I decided to leave. And I moved to Melbourne. I'm still very close to my family, though. And I moved to Melbourne, and I couldn't find safety there either. And, you know, I was trying to constantly escape my anxiety. So I dived into, like, numbing myself. And, um, yeah, I don't really talk too much about this. But, I, um, yeah, I essentially had, like, this Xanax addiction. (laughs) And it went on for three years. And um, it really numbed a big part of my anxiety. And then when I moved to LA for the next chapter of my life, um, I was still in the state where I was constantly battling with myself. And I realized like I was just going down this very dark Mm -hmm. hole and I didn't know why. And I didn't know why I had certain desires and why I was behaving a certain way and why I was constantly choosing to escape, not just through drugs, but through you know, alcohol too. And through food, I had, I battled with eating disorders my entire life. And, and then through like impulsive decision-making, I had this weird thing with like first dates and how I would invite random strangers into my bed, but then I wouldn't have sex with them. And so I learned that that was me reenacting trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, so all these things that I was fighting, um, eventually led me to go and figure my shit out. And Mm -hmm. I took myself to the desert for 10 days and I went cold turkey on everything. Um, And when I was there, I essentially, I had reenacted, not reenacted, sorry. I had triggered my trauma brain because I was alone in the desert coming off drugs and waking up to a bed full of bed bugs And so that triggered that Mm -hmm. lack of safety again because my space had been invaded. And so my trauma brain was active the entire time I was away while I was coming off drugs. Mm -hmm. And then I started to remember my childhood in that state. And all these memories kind of came out. And I was like freaking out because I was having these flashbacks of being like, oh, I don't know how. I I mean, it's a taboo, but I'm going to talk about it. Like I was being molested as a child. And I remember calling my sister and being like, is, 
what what am I feeling? Like, why why am I having these memories? And then um, we, you know, we kept working on it throughout the trip. And yeah, I don't know. I went, um, I got back home and I decided to change everything in my life. And, you know, I went, like I said, I went cold turkey. I went, I started seeing a therapist full time. Mm -hmm. Um, I started seeing a personal trainer full time. I moved houses because I was living with, uh, guys who were constantly around drugs and, um, and then, yeah, I was able to uncover a lot about my trauma and, you know, it was validated when I spoke to my parents. And so all of this stuff came up and I realized that's, you know, that, that was a big part of my story that I was blocking out. And so when you see my art, you're seeing, me before I realized my trauma and then after and you see there's like such a huge progression in the way that I tell my story it goes from being really innocent and youthful and like very coming of age to really like dark and depressing to then me owning my power Mm -hmm. and so there is growth in my art because my art is real to me and my art is my story and so you see me uncover me throughout my art as you go on. And on that point of seeing a therapist full time, do you still see a therapist now? I do. I only see her once every two weeks, though. But I was seeing her twice a week and then sometimes three times. And then over the years, as we got, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been doing the self work for two years now. Um, But the more we uncovered, the less I felt like I needed to see her. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'm in a really good place, but you still have to have someone you can check in with. And so I see her still like once every two weeks. And you were, you're 26 now? Yeah. Incredibly young. I'm also 26. So it's, <laughs> I'm actually just talking to myself there. But um, <laughs> what age were you when you started to really sort of take control and t- sort of ownership and understand the things that had happened previously, the impact that they had had on you and start to, I don't know if that's the right word to say, but like understand and therefore take a little bit more control over the impact they'd had on your life? Yeah, I think um, I oh, I st- I was I started doing the self work two years ago, so at twenty four, mm-hmm. is that what you mean? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, but prior to that, I was kind of you know when I think about my time on Earth, I mm-hmm. should say it's all very hazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I was kind of living in ignorance and oblivion, um, and so it wasn't until I stopped to ask myself hey, why are you doing this? Or why, why do you think this way? Or why are you choosing to not focus on or spend mm-hmm. time with yourself? Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out because I don't think this is the way to live. And what kind, of, what kind of person are you in terms of like, you know, some people say that they're confident and they're um, motivated and ambitious and creative. If you had to like describe yourself in a couple of words, who, is, who, who are you? Hmm. I feel like in a couple of words, I'm, hmm. Oh, I'm trying to think of the word. There's, I'm maternal. Mm-hmm. I'm very protective over myself and people in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty laid back. Mm-hmm. I try and really like just go in terms of my personality. I, I don't necessarily like to label myself as anything. Mm-hmm. I I like to just focus on being present and feeling because mm-hmm. um, feeling is something that I struggled with. I was very apathetic growing up. And so I like to just always try and be here. Mm-hmm. 
and reacts based on feeling and as opposed to intellectualizing feeling Mm -hmm. because that's something I also did. Sure. Yeah. Is that, I don't yeah, know. no, that's 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 what I was. That's kind of what I was asking. Do you would you consider yourself a confident person? Yeah. Do you think you, you've is that something you've had to work on, or is it something you've always had, or is it? I think I've always had it. I've been since I was little. I was extremely competitive, right? And but I it was I was confident, but I also loved to be alone. And mm-hmm. I'm like introverted, extroverted. Like when I'm with the right people. Mm-hmm. I'm like the loudest one at the table mm-hmm. and then, but then I need to be alone. Like 70% of my day, I need to just be with myself and not really like give my energy to anyone. How, how does, how is that? Cause I'm the same. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like a lot of people are, but I, I'm an extrovert and an introvert at the same time. I, I love being on my own with my laptop in a dark room. Um, how has that impacted your ability to like form relationships with people? Because I imagine, and this is just a guess, but with people who are often quite talented and quite inspired and quite creative, they're on one hand also a little bit different, you know, and a little bit harder to understand. So that sometimes makes it harder to form relationships with them if they're operating on a slightly different wavelength. Have you had that problem with friendships and romantic partners and such? I really, um, I just allow like my intuition to, dictate who I want to connect with and who I don't. And like, it's pretty, for me, it's very easy to identify relationships that I know are going to be immediate and instant. And then other times, if I don't feel a calling to you, I know not to exchange that energy. And Mm -hmm. so it really does come down to the way I'm feeling in the moment. I can't really decipher it based on anything other than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And you, you are, you are, an artist in many senses of the word um i want to understand the full sort of spectrum of the art that you create so could you could you take me through that yeah absolutely so with my art as i said previously it is me expressing myself and my story um so my art has is centered around me having repress my emotions and being extremely apathetic to Mm -hmm. what I'm feeling to suddenly feeling everything at once. And it's when I'm feeling everything at once is when a story is about to be told. And so when I sit with myself and it's usually during a breakup or a grievance or feeling like I've been misunderstood, um, or feeling like this huge desire to just be like, I've, I have to like write, I have to tell my story. And, one after the other, these lines start coming out of my brain, like these one-liners, and I write them in my notes on my phone, and I could probably pull out like a random one from a while ago. Go for it, please. Just to give you an idea. So I'm literally, I'm going into my notes right now. I would love to see the notes in your phone. I'd love, I'd love <laughs> oh to scroll God. to the bottom. And I'd People love to... would literally think I'm insane. Like, <laughs> there's so much like, like, what the fuck is she talking about? Like, it's so, some of them are so deep and twisted, and then others are just like sassy and... And then, uh, hang on, let me find a page. I even write raps, but we can go into really? that later. <laughs> what are you, in your selection process of showing me which note you're going to choose, how, how are you deciding what to show me? Are you trying to find something that's like a middle ground? People won't. Like, well, I'm just trying to find like one where I've got like 30 notes on it. Okay. Because they usually come like one after the other. There's so many. Um, no, because that's not out yet, so I can't share that. Oh. <laughs> um, on the exclusive. 
Okay, so this one, um, this one came like I wrote this in September, and it was based on this guy that I was seeing telling me that he was also seeing someone else, and I, I was just like a little bit prick. No, it was awesome. okay because like, we weren't we were just, we weren't even seeing each other. We just have like he's a big part of my like family community here. And we'd always just end up in the cuddle puddle and make out and whatever. Well, you've got to explain what the cuddle puddle is. Because people, so, if, you, if you think about what you've just said, as a, as a, if you don't give that context. The, the cuddle, cuddle puddle is um, literally, as you imagine it, it is um, a big, giant sheepskin rug. And there's a Tempur-Pedic mattress under it. And there's like 20, 30 pillows on top. And then like it throws. And it is the spot in my apartment where mm-hmm. everyone congregates cuddle yeah it looks does look very comfortable it's about 10 10 feet behind us um so and so i i there was the night he told me i'd had a few wines and so i just really needed to be able to check in with how i was feeling so these lines just started coming out and so this one i used in the dear love series with noah centineo and it's you've never seen me not want you are you ready now so I was like mm-hmm. salty. I was feeling mm-hmm. like a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. like. That's the wine. <laughs> um, and then he texts me being like, hey, I feel like I didn't explain myself. Can we meet up for coffee? And then I, like, I didn't even respond to him. I just <laughs> responded in my notes. And I'm like, I'm not going to let you buy me coffee while you tell me I can't have what I want. So mm-hmm. there's that. And then there's I can't let my energy live in you while you live in someone else. And so I actually wow. sent that to him. And then... I don't know what this one means, but my right and my left hand aren't the same people. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, I don't know that one. I that one I'm drawing a complete blank on. <laughs> but that's just an example of me having mm-hmm. been in the moment and asking myself, how am I feeling? Because that's something I never mm-hmm. did. And so instead of like waiting three months into a relationship, I was checking in with myself as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Because in the past. I was not checking with myself at all. And then I'd sit down and suddenly I had like yeah. a burst. And that's when you go through my notes and you'll see pages with like 30 different lines. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that process has really evolved for me. But. And how, how important do you think it is for people to like keep track on how they feel? Cause I, cause even doing this podcast, some of these um, episodes are recorded alone at night. So yeah. I record them alone at night 3am in my, in my, a house back in the UK. Yeah. And I used to say it was like therapy for me because even the way that it used to work is I would record my diary all week and then at the end of the week I would share the, those diary notes and they were very deep personal things and upon, you know, getting it out, I would feel like I'd been through therapy or something. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's so unbelievably important to un, like as you say like understand um, when things happen to you, how it's made you feel. And if you're able to have that conversation with yourself, you're almost able to control the behavior. Yeah. As opposed to reacting, you respond. Do you yeah, know? well, I think what we are taught to do, or we're conditioned to do as humans living in this society, is to constantly distract ourselves from the way we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And we do that through our phones, through binging on Netflix, through drinking, through drugs, through everything. We're constantly escaping. Mm-hmm. And whenever we feel a sense of anxiety or excitement or happiness, we don't just sit with ourselves and we, we don't we don't feel what we're feeling. We instantly run to our phones to tell people or like if it's sadness that we, we want to feel instead of being like, hey, I'm here for you. I, I see you in a child we we jump to Netflix to watch like a drama romance that's going to make us cry, which mm-hmm. is also fine. But 
it's it's the process and we skip a process and instead of going from I'm feeling sad to watching a sad movie it's I'm feeling sad I'm gonna like be with myself and I'm gonna feel what I'm gonna feel and I'm gonna cry if I need to and then I'm gonna watch Mm-hmm. a Netflix show that makes me feel even sadder or helps me express. But we don't have that dependency on ourselves. We have our, we have that dependency with everything around us. Mm-hmm. And we seek validation through escaping as opposed to finding it within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that we we learn to disconnect from the outer world and connect with ourselves to tap into how we're supposed to be feeling when we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And so, so with all that said, do, do you think the reason that you've been successful with your art and it's reached so many people is because you've gone on that journey of understanding yourself. You're clearly very good at the expression part of that understanding, which some people aren't. Some people might be able to understand why they're feeling what they're feeling, but they can't express it in an artistic way, which then, um, in your case, has resonated with a huge amount of people. And really, your understanding of you has helped other people understand them and what they're feeling. It's kind of encapsulated a feeling and allowed them the kind of ex- uh, the canvas of their own like self-expression, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So I think... With all of the series that you see on on my side and in galleries and whatnot, I think um, they've all come from me having been able to trust in my intuition that the time to tell my story is now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when these series come about, it's usually within 24 to 48 hours. Really? Yes. Are you feeling that something? Or? Of me being like, I've got to tell my story now. It's like, no. I can't sleep. I've got to get it done i call everyone i know Mm -hmm. with every single series i've done it's been a 24 48 hour process Mm -hmm. um nola centineo the last shoot i did dear love Mm -hmm. we met on the friday for coffee he was like let's shoot sunday i'm like okay we're shooting sunday and then on monday i edited the photos on tuesday he we had a preview party Mm -hmm. and then on wednesday they were out online Mm -hmm. so that was like the turnaround is so fast and why it's it's because I, I can't explain it beyond the universe just giving me a kick up the butt. And it's like, do it now or it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's just you trusting your intuition and being like, I've got to get it done. And you'll be rewarded after that. So I think in me trusting, to answer your question now, in me trusting my intuition to create and then to express myself publicly is me giving myself voice that I never had. Mm-hmm. And because the process is so personal and it's so real to me in a society where we are conditioned to manipulate our image to seem like it's perfection. And especially on Instagram, like you see so much content that's so curated and so it's not really real to the person. It's an, it's an ideal of who they want to be and how they want to portray themselves. But when you see my work, you're seeing me and me healing from my trauma and me giving myself a voice and the voice that people are too afraid to give themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why people stop and pay attention because they're like, I feel that way too. Mm -hmm. And most of the time people are like, I see me in your work or this is so me or, Mm -hmm. you know, so in me helping myself heal, I'm helping others to heal too. Mm -hmm. I'm giving them words that they otherwise can't Mm -hmm. come up with. And I think that's what, what makes people stop and, focus and is that is that the part that gives you your fulfillment is knowing that you're helping other people heal or is that more selfish 
honestly, I think it's more selfish. Mm -hmm. I think um, my process is so personal and, you know, in me creating, I'm healing. And then, yeah, it's like when I put it out there, it's me giving myself a voice. Mm -hmm. And if that's empowering others, that's, you know, that is a fucking blessing. I'm so, I'm so happy that I can do that. But I imagine that was never your intention, right? And your intention was much more pure and selfish. And it just so happens that because your intention was so pure, so real and so honest, you didn't start to try and make a bucket load of money, right? That's why it's been able to really connect with people. And often yeah. that seems to be the case with art when it's created from like a real place, you know? Yeah, I, you know, to, my intention was never about money for me. It was expressing my story. And the fact that I've been able to monetize is like, it's another blessing. Like, I'm really grateful for that. So, You talk about um, intuition a lot and yeah. how that's guided so much of your like, decision-making generally. It seems to be a very you know, common word in your vocabulary. Yeah. How does one tune into my intuition? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it goes back to what I was saying about choosing to be with yourself instead of choosing to be with your surroundings and I mean that's fine too sorry but it's more like um to tap into your intuition you have to have a sense of your being and you have to know to distinguish your ego from your body from your soul because the three entities are completely different and then some will argue that emotion is its own entity and I I haven't quite figured out where I stand with that because I feel like you can react emotionally through body and you can react emotionally through soul and emotionally through mind so I feel like emotion is like the umbrella and then everything falls Mm -hmm. under that but um in order to tap into your intuition it's spending time with yourself and breathing and breathing through your being and essentially meditating but people are scared of the word meditation for some reason I feel like people think it's a lot of work Mm. and it's like too spiritual, but really all meditation is, is grounding yourself and mm. being like, I am here with me. Mm. I'm not here with Netflix. I'm here with me. Mm-hmm. I keep using Netflix as a reference because sure, that's my like biggest a, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watch so much TV, but you know, but it's about, um, yeah, it's about removing everything around you and just being like, Hey, how are you? How do you meditate? By doing that, it's the day I just lay on my couch and I breathe into my belly and I'm just like, hey, how are you? <laughs> like, what are you feeling right now? And do you talk to, is it like an internal dialogue? Yeah, it's just, it, it's honestly just me hanging out with me and it's my mind hanging out with my soul mm-hmm. and those two are having a conversation. Got you. Um, one of the things that fascinates me is you've grown a huge following on Instagram very very quickly it would seem right from an outsider's perspective and that's always the way it seems with success it it appears to be very quick um but you're also very self-made you don't have huge investment backing as far as I'm aware you you fund your own uh galleries you fund your own shows and things like that can can you talk me through the the journey you've gone on from like creating your first piece of art to um, where you are now. Was there a moment where you blew up? Was there an op- a break you got or something? Where was the moment where you, you, you felt that you, you, you know, this is really working. <laughs> this, is all, this is kind of working out or this is exceeding my expectations. Yeah, I have a good one. Mine okay. was like a big breakthrough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
So Sex and Takeout was my first viral series. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a series I created to capture indulgent moments within yourself and with your partner, if you have one. Um, and I wanted to be able to empower women to feel comfortable in these ideas of eating what you want when you want without feeling shame or guilt, because that's the condi- conditioning society gave us. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was shooting the series, it was about two weeks of me being like, oh my God, how has no one done this? How has no one done this? This is so genius. And like, I just gathered everyone in my neighborhood. Like I asked friends of friends if they would just model for me. And I was like, look, like I need you to sign a release form. And I never had anyone sign release forms before. And I was just like, it's going to go viral. It's going to appear on this and this and this. I just mm-hmm. have a feeling. And they were like, yeah, fuck yeah. And so like we all, I shot all of it. I think it was about 20 different or 15 to 20 different um, final pieces. And I shot all of it within two weeks. And then I put it, I did an exclusive online with this publication. And I think we released it in October 2014. And it picked up momentum, but it didn't go as crazy as I thought it was. It would. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. And I was with my my ex at the time. We were together for almost a year. And um, it was almost like the universe was waiting for me to break up with him <laughs> before I blew up the fucking internet. And um, so I break up with him in December. <laughs> and in January, I planted um, an article on BuzzFeed, just one random night. It was like Tuesday night or something. I planted an article on BuzzFeed community mm-hmm. where it's like you contribute your own post. And I, I just like set it up like a BuzzFeed article because my background was in social media strategy. So I knew exactly how to do it. And, you know, I was like, this is sex and takeout, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I went to bed. And I don't know what possessed me to do it that night because I'd been putting doing it up like for two months. But that night I decided to do it. Mm-hmm. And I went to bed and I woke up. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I woke up to like thousands. Really? Thousands of emails, notifications, like 50,000 new followers in 24 hours. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) Like, what is actually happening to have that? And so I quickly jump on Facebook and all my friends are tagging me in um, Elite Daily. Oh, yeah. Because they were the first to do the post. So they found it on BuzzFeed Community, took it. And then they were like the ones that made it viral. Mm -hmm. So Elite Daily did it first. And then I was just like, that was the source as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. And then every other publication that existed did something too. There was Juxtapose, there was Days, there was um, Huffington Post and Israeli Times, like <laughs> everywhere. And I'm just like, what is happening? And um, and so after that, I got picked up by a gallery. Um, we started exhibiting the works in internationally, so within um, America, UK, and even like Israel, um, and. And then, yeah, I guess that's how my art career got to <laughs> And how long ago was that? That was 2014. 2014. Oh, so 15, 2015 was, January 2015 was when it went viral. And the week it went viral, and this is just like a fun little sugar coating, but I ran into my ex. Really? Did <laughs> yeah. you tell him to fuck up? <laughs> yeah. Well, he chased me out of the venue and I was just like, fuck you. I don't, like, I don't he, need you anymore. <laughs> no, he was just the most toxic human. So it was like my kind of revenge knowing that. 
And that's so salty of me, but I was young at the time, so sure. I was just loving the idea that he was seeing me everywhere nice. <laughs> that week. That's always the best thing yeah. when you're young, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it was <laughs> so good. But on that point, um, something that I hear a lot with people that have success in their own disciplines is that they got lucky, right? Yeah. And um, people have said this to me. I, I actually responded to a comment on Instagram yesterday because I hate that, like, that I know luck is a factor, right? But this guy commented something about, oh, well, uh, some of my friends, they just get a lucky break and then they're, you know, really successful. And and they're almost trying to kind of like demean everyone's or like push down everyone's hard work by just passing it off as luck, but also making an excuse for why they aren't there. Yeah, that's projection though. Yeah, so have you ever, has anyone ever said that to you? And what's your, what role do you think luck has played in? Actually, before I... I'm going to tell you my my um, idea of luck in your situation there. Okay. Right. So, one of the th- one of the things where I got really lucky, I was up really late at night and I signed up to a website. It reminds me of what you've just said. Then, signed up to a website when I was 18 years old and I uploaded my details at about 3 a.m. in the morning and then I went to bed. And then two days later, uh, it just so happened this entrepreneur had dropped out. This 17 year old entrepreneur. They needed someone else, so they went onto that website to find someone found me, emailed me, brought me to London when I was 18. And I yeah. spoke in front of all of these people. I got three investors and my business really took off. But I was up at 3 a.m. signing yeah. up to websites when the people who say luck is, oh, look, 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 whatever, they were all asleep. Yeah. And in the same way, you were on BuzzFeed uploading your work. when It was probably 3 a.m. too. Probably, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and everyone else was asleep. Yeah. So people will look at you and say, oh, well, it was that, that BuzzFeed Elite Daily article that made you lucky. But really, it was like no one else was uploading their stuff to BuzzFeed. No. You know, so... Well, I honestly, I don't think it's... I personally don't think luck exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... People who call it luck don't know what hard work is. Mm-hmm. And the unit, like, I'm going to just keep referring to the universe, sure. but it's also energy. So let's just say I dedicated two weeks curating 20 shoots mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. I then strategized the release. Mm-hmm. And then I went online two months later because it wasn't going where I wanted it to go. And I strategized again. Mm-hmm. And then it took off. Mm-hmm. But that was four months a four-month process, October, November, December, January, where I was hustling mm-hmm. and I was trying to make this work and I was trying to break through the internet. Mm-hmm. That's hard work. Mm-hmm. That's not luck. Mm-hmm. That's energy. Mm-hmm. You pushing all your energy into believing this idea is real mm-hmm. and then getting it done, which is the hardest part. It's mm-hmm. the doing it that's hard. Like having an idea and then executing it is where most people don't they don't even get to that point there's so much resistance i'm reading the war of art right now i saw it on your table over there (laughs) and it's all about that it's about breaking through the resistance and the self-talk and the doubt Mm -hmm. doing that alone is like consuming and that is fucking hard and so when you do that and you believe in something and then you get it done and and then you keep strategizing and pushing it and pushing it until it becomes what you envisioned like that's work that's mm-hmm. not luck I, I really don't believe it's <laughs> luck at all yeah, it's one of those things that really pisses me off so. yeah <laughs> I'm just like people don't like go to bed and wake up billionaires that's not how it yeah, happens yeah, yeah, yeah. like I've been doing this for 10 fucking years mm-hmm. so, you know and mm-hmm. the same way you've been mm-hmm. fucking working we all are working this ideal that we wake up successful doesn't exist and that uh, surely that's because the majority of people 
right, because of the nature of your growth and your notoriety, they've only seen somewhere near the end. Yeah. Right? So the majority of people didn't see the other 10 years because the other, t- you know, going back to year one of your, you know, you being an artist wasn't that interesting. And you probably weren't that good, to be honest, mm. in, the sense, in, in many senses of the world. Yeah. Right? So um, I think that's, and that's also, I think, one of the downfalls of social media in many respects is you tend to see the, the highlight reel, but also a successful person, you just, they come into the public eye at the end. Mm. And I will always remember watching this video of Justin Bieber because I, you know, I was probably... 18 and a bit salty that Justin Bieber was killing it you know and I saw this video of him on, on um, YouTube and he was about eight years old and he sat in the, on these stairs in Canada with a little hat in front of him asking people to put dollars into it while he's singing his heart out and like I think from that moment onwards it changed my whole perspective of yeah. like envy and successful people because Justin Bieber's someone that I thought got lucky mm. I, you know he did a little song and dance in front, front of Usher became a global superstar but he was learning he learned every instrument at the age of like eight years old and then went out on the streets and started playing his guitar when i was probably at home playing with like action man or lego yeah. and so yeah um i always think there's a bigger story and i try not to judge now yeah of journey. course what's um what's something that you're really really bad at something i'm really bad at um well, that shouldn't i'm singing <laughs> singing can we can we <laughs> Can we hear your singing? <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it's so weird. Some days I wake up and I have a singing voice and other days I cannot sing in pitch whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, every day I think I have a singing voice, but yeah. then it's other people tell me I don't. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, it's weird, yeah. I, you, I bet you can sing, can't you? Not. See, you can. You're, 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 you well, can I just sing. don't. I, I don't. I've seen. I've heard terrible singing. I'm not a terrible singer. I'm just not a great singer. Will you sing now? No. <laughs> worth a try i didn't think you would <laughs> um what else am i bad at um this shouldn't be a hard question there's, i'm sure there's a lot of things i just don't like to um focus on the negatives sure. yeah. yeah i mean like i'm on i'm unorganized um i can be a little bit selfish mm. you know I, most of my life has been pretty much about me yeah those kinds of things i think honestly i really try I'm a perfectionist in in a lot of ways um, with my relationships, with my work, with even the way I communicate with myself and the Mm -hmm, way there's a lot of control there. So I think I'm bad at letting go of control. Interesting. Yeah. I imagine that is, um, that has a lot of negative impacts on a lot of things in your life. Uh, it, it's per, it's actually just very it's between myself with uh, oh it's you oh okay so it's an internal thing okay yeah so it's um, not like you're controlling in a relationship I don't I don't have, no one looks at me and thinks I'm controlling okay. it's just something I I know I am sure. um personally and privately and quietly mm-hmm. I just like to I like to control the amount of energy I exchange with people I like to control my space mm-hmm. um I like to control the way i organize things and like um you are organized yeah this is just my we're looking at my personal projects board and i have post-it notes for the different personal projects that i want to complete so this is completely separate to my commercial work are you procrastinator uh typically no wow but this the past three months i have been struggling to complete a project that I know is going to be successful and it's only because it's the first time I'm doing this which is writing a tv show oh wow yeah is that a can you tell us more 
I can tell you <laughs> it's based you on my that. alter ego. Okay, what's your alter ego? <laughs> <laughs> are you able to tell us what your alter ego is? Um, I can tell you that <laughs> there are moments where I'll be sitting in a room and I want to burst out and do something. And then I just have too much like fear to do it. And so this is the alternative me. Okay. But through a very strong concept, which I cannot talk about. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) And when will we be able to see? Well, my goal is to have it done before my 27th birthday, which is a month away. So it's not, I'm not writing the entire script. I'm writing the treatment and hopefully shooting the sizzle next month. So do you, do you have, as like an entrepreneur and an artist, do you have, a long-term goal is there is there a place you'll get to where you think or are you there now where you just think everything is perfect I've done everything I need to you know need to do I've achieved everything I've needed to achieve is there like a a finish line for you at all well I believe that everything should have an end goal Mm -hmm. and I don't want to be doing the same thing for my entire life so you know there's a few more stories I want to tell through my current way of expressing which is the subtitles and photos Mm -hmm. um they involve, you know, shooting more women of color representing, you know, my culture in the Middle East and talking more to the taboos around child sexual abuse. And I've already tapped into it, all of it, but I want to push and I want to go deeper and darker based on my process and my journey to overcoming mm-hmm. a lot of the things about myself. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, beyond that, I don't see the photography element being the thing that I live, you know, I continue to do. It's only, it's going to be very, it's going to end soon enough. Mm -hmm. And then I want to move into this TV pilot and I want that to be my ultimate thing for next year. And then I also want to ghostwrite for rappers and, (laughs) you know, I write, I write poetry, I write raps. I, I, I'm so immersed in that world, but I, at the moment it's just for myself, Mm -hmm. but I know I, there's so much, there's so much skill there that I want to, these one liners Mm -hmm. are songs. They all can easily become songs. And so I want to be able to create a book, which I'll take to a publication. I'm sorry, publishers and just be like, here, put me in a studio with this person. Let's go. And, like, I'm talking, like, I want to work for Rihanna and, like, Nicki Minaj and, like, Lana Del Rey, not Kanye. You don't like him. Oh, my God. I wrote the best fucking rap the other day. And can I'm I, just like, wait, it? no, because it's so good. Oh, God. <laughs> I, like, I have to save it because sure. I am, see, I'm already manifesting. I'm going to be in rooms with these people. Like, that to me doesn't sound crazy. Like, I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of process and time. But then I, I also have designed my future home. And I want to win like fucking awards for it because it's so unique. But mm-hmm. I'm not an architecture. Um, you're an artist. Yeah, but I, period, I think like. creativity shouldn't be limited to just one thing. And we should aim to have end goals so we can push ourselves to do the next thing. And that's where I'm at. So I want to do so many things. Someone that you said you've, you've been through a lot of stuff, especially in your sort of early years. Usually, and this again is probably. Sweep, bit of a sweeping statement but those things will not that I would know like I can't pretend to know but would might knock someone's confidence or at least their own belief in themselves and what you've just said there is you know I know I can do it you are someone that's so that's been through so much but for some um somehow has also is also held on to their belief in themselves if that makes sense almost like a pretty 
and this is not an offensive thing because I feel the same way about me, but like almost to like a delusional perspective. Like the world would tell you you shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't believe that you'll be in a room with Rihanna and you'll win awards for your own house. But there is zero doubt. I have zero doubt that you believe that. Where 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 does that? Do you know where that self belief comes from? I think self belief is one of the because you know it really leads to like that self doubt, which then fosters regret. Is one of the things that most people that message me that want to do great things. Um, are missing it's that you talked about execution and idea that's the thing for me that sometimes takes you from the idea to the execution phase where has that self-belief come from in you and what's your like yeah do you believe in your you know okay my self-belief has come from and we keep talking about it but it is intuition Mm -hmm. and it's me having everything that has happened to me in my life up until right now I have foreseen for myself and whether it's delusional to the state of believing or if it's actual manifestation and manifestation is real or if it's I have access to fucking future realms Mm -hmm. which I don't know if I do like all I know is that I've always known what I've had to do Mm -hmm. and when I moved from Perth to Melbourne that happened in a week I'm like I have to go now I'll see you guys later Mm -hmm. and I moved to Melbourne and then when I moved to LA I don't even know why I need to move to LA I just know I have to be there I moved to LA Mm -hmm. Sex and Taker. I don't know why I have to shoot this series. I just know it's going to go viral. Let's shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, every other caption series, everything. It's just trusting that I'm supposed to be doing it, not knowing why. And mm-hmm. the thing that stops people, the resistance comes from not trusting the uncertainty. But we have to trust it. We have to trust that we don't know what's going to happen to us. But if there's an inkling in you that's telling you to do it, you do it. Like you trust that you don't trust the negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. You trust that little thing that made you like excited for a minute because that's real. And that is the universe communicating with you. That is energy communicating with you that you have to do the work. But what if I fail? If you fail, you start again, you do it. But I just, I don't know. Cause I, I can't say I have with any of these projects. And is that luck? I'm doing quotes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, it's, I really can't explain it. It's just trusting. And I i mean, I have failed with other projects, but then I always almost knew that they weren't going to be as successful because there was like a resistance greater than I was aware of, you know? I guess it also depends but what you, just you de- keep define going. as failure. Yeah, you just keep going because series that didn't take off the way I thought they would, I delayed them and I took like years to actually put them on the internet. Why did I take years to put them on the internet? Because I didn't really believe in it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to believe in the concept. And it has to, and what makes a successful concept? Uniqueness and relatability. Bring those two together. Something that's unique and something that's relatable, you have a successful concept. Has it been done? No. Is it relatable? But you're a bit yes. of a, but Sarah, you're a bit of a genius. So like, <laughs> I can think of some people, and I'm sure you can as well. That will believe in something and it's terrible. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Terrible by definition of most people's success. Like nobody cares. It doesn't relate. But through their own perspective, and I'm thinking about somebody I know in particular, <laughs> but they create, they create these ideas and they are 100%. They're like, ah, oh, this is it. And I see it and I think, oh, no. and then they put it out into the world and it misses. So what is it that's making you hit? And I guess it, in your mind, it's, from your perspective, it's you're more connected to yourself. You may, I think you have a, a an heightened sense of of people and self awareness. Mm. Like you, you, you're 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 probably very good at understanding people. 
because you're probably quite good at understanding yourself maybe yeah is that fair yeah I think that's fair I think um yeah it's when people have bad ideas and they believe it's good I say good on them because they're still committing to something they believe in and if it ends up failing that's gonna that's that's on them to deal with that and Mm -hmm. then to make sure they know that they can carry on with something else. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the not giving up part. And it's that the energy we invest into something we believe in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. What's the, what's something in the next um, couple of years that, or the next 10 years that you really want to do something you really want to accomplish. We talked about the house mm-hmm. awards. You're going to be um, a rapper. That's like ghost writer. <laughs> I'll be a ghost writer. I won't be a rapper ever. I, I can't actually rap. I just know how to write them. I, when I, when I Googled you earlier, I struggled to find photos of you. <laughs> and then when we walked in here, Lauren said, Oh, can I, can we take a photo? And you're a little bit shy about that. Yeah. Why is that? Um, I, why couldn't I find loads of photos of you on the internet? I don't know. It's not even like intentional. I just don't. I like to express through. I like to control the energy that I'm trying to express in my stories. So I don't shoot me. I shoot mm-hmm. other people because I'm able to see it. But if it was the other way around, I couldn't do it justice. So, um, Are you scared of anything? Am I scared of anything? Yeah. What are the things that you, you worry about? What are the things I worry about? I worry about my safety. That's conditioning. Um, sure. I worry about, but I don't think that's why I don't put, there are photos of me that yeah, exist this on the is, internet. This is just a different, I went off in a different direction. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the two aren't connected. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I've, I struggle, I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. So it's conditioning based on, Sorry, it's a coping mechanism based on my trauma as a child. And so I uncontrollably have anxiety. And that comes from not feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And that not feeling safe triggers fight or flight mode. And so I I have panic attacks. I used to have them daily. Now I've reduced it based on the work that I've been doing. I've reduced it to like once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it went from being like level nine my entire life to being like two now, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I will eventually be able to eradicate it completely. But it's not about getting rid of it. It's about checking in with yourself. And instead of numbing yourself to your anxiety, it's meditating and breathing into your belly and being like, hey, I'm here with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm here. Let's calm down. I was going to ask because I feel like I'd there'd be people listening now that would want to know how you managed to... Um, bring it down well um, it's so. bringing anxiety is a coping mechanism it comes from something it comes from not feeling like you were protected mm-hmm. um whether it was you fell as a child and you were crying for hours and no one heard you or whether it was you were sexually abused mm-hmm. or you know it, it's being unheard and being unprotected and that's where anxiety stems from so the second you know where it's coming from and why you have it is the moment you can then dive deeper and you know use your adult self to heal your inner child yeah. and the inner child is the one that's screaming at you when you have anxiety and so it's up to your adult self to help your inner child through it we're 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 
Well, I, the last person I um, interview on this podcast is a guy called Johan jo, um, Hari. Mm. He writes wrote, wrote a book called Lost Connections. Okay, no, it. I haven't. It's, it's, the, the subtitle of the book is Uncovering the Real Cures of Depression and Anxiety. And he talks about a lot of things in there. But one of the things he says is that these kinds of issues, anxiety and depression, are increasing in our, in our generation, mm-hmm. like millennials and, and younger. Um, I've always wondered the impact that social media has had on that. Mm-hmm. And it, is it a causal factor of the increase. Do you think it is? I absolutely think it is. I, well, like I said, it's a tool to escape. Mm -hmm. So if you are feeling some kind of way, if you're feeling sad or anxious or unhappy or depressed, and instead of being with yourself, you're being on your phone and then you're seeing all of these people who are happy and excited and, you know, dressed amazing and face tuning their bodies and, mm-hmm. you know, on vacation in the Bahamas, you're just, it, what that does to you when you're feeling that way and you're using that to escape, it's devalidating what you're feeling. Sure. It's saying that what you're feeling is, doesn't matter and what you're seeing is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. So I think it's making it a thousand times worse. Have you brought social media into your art in various ways? I mean, I use social media as the platform to share my story. But having it with, actually with, as part of the, the storylines within, is that ever something you've considered? No, no, but I the themes are all very relative. So mm-hmm. they're very, they, the themes are very open to interpretation. So if you're reading something, it could very well come back to social media. Great. Yeah. If I, if you became the the CEO of uh, Instagram and Facebook, right? Yeah. What would you do? Oh my god! Great question. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you might, she's pulling out a, 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 so a this big is binder. my document. I got <laughs> yeah. it. Um, no, okay. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and Instagram and Facebook have essentially given everyone indirect permission to plagiarize and. Um, breach copyright of intellectual property. Mm. So what needs to happen is we need to take a huge step back or essentially forward and create a system within the platforms to, uh, what is the word, to um, essentially create the source of original content. Like content ID. Yeah. That's what they call it. Yeah, and like at the moment when someone shares your... Because, okay, firstly, people aren't aware of this and they need to be aware. Years ago, there was this huge viral outbreak that once something's on Instagram, it's owned by Instagram. But that's not true. It's not true, yeah. In the guidelines, in the by- bylaws or whatever, mm-hmm. it states very clearly that if you are the owner of the content, mm-hmm. you own it. And anyone who wants to use your content needs to seek permission first. Mm-hmm. And this idea of crediting... Mm-hmm isn't isn't mm-hmm. the correct way to do it you actually have to seek permission first mm-hmm. so literally 90 no i'm going to say 100% of instagram users are breaching copyright mm-hmm. and has instagram made it easy to report absolutely not you mm-hmm. can't even do it through your phone and to prove that you are the original content person is like that is even harder to do so it's just like why isn't there a system in place where you can, um, who has, who needs to make this technology where if something isn't the original source and you report it, it gets down, it's taken down immediately mm-hmm. and it's like a A, B, C process. It's not like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. It's like one, two, and it's gone. 
And I think there needs to be a software implemented into the app where it can immediately um, find find the and source and then anything else that isn't the source gets removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that will change the way we use the platform too mm-hmm. and that will bring artists um, more eyes and more success because their content is now labeled as theirs as opposed to the internet's. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that I've had to deal with for the imagine. past, yeah. since Sex and Takeout, that's when it really started happening, um, is thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts just using my work and then brands seeing it and brands not knowing that it's it came from mm-hmm. me and so they start copying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking like little local brands. Local brands do it all the time. I'm talking like the major A-League brands mm-hmm doing my idea and getting other photographers and artists to do it, even though it's mine. Mm -hmm. And that wouldn't have happened if they knew where the source came from. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, yeah, I feel it. And that this isn't just on behalf of me. It's on behalf of artists everywhere. I can imagine. Yeah. Because if you think about the the sort of like net loss of that, it's pretty tremendous. Yeah. Facebook and, and Instagram are working on something. Well, they have content ID, but it's it doesn't work in the way that you've described. It's incredibly good at identifying like music and video at yeah. the moment, but I've not heard it be at all useful for. Well, I feel like um, like visual artists are the ones who we aren't on anyone's radar yet. Sure, um, yeah. I think we're the ones that are suffering the most in terms of the plagiarism mm-hmm. um, with music. It is you know they have all the software to do that. With yeah, oh, what other artists? Video, videos, Vi- videos, videos too. Mm-hmm. Um, but with photography, mm-hmm. yeah. And how do you even define IP? Like, because you can create something, and then someone can create something similar, but that's their IP. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of like gray area. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there needs to be an institution researching like deeply how to define IP laws. Mm-hmm. And what, and then how can that be integrated into social media? Would you, do you think social media in terms of mental health impacts and societal impacts, you know, this whole promise to make us more connected, but we probably spend less time together in person now than ever before. Do you think social media has had a net positive or net negative impact on the world? I think it's extremely positive for information and education and raising awareness of social and racial Politics, um, I think it's extremely negative in terms of connection and human connection. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's great to keep informed with what your friends are up to and what everyone's up to and what society's up to. But the second you become, you identify through digital instead of identifying through yourself then there's a problem because you're relying on the digital world to tell people who you are as opposed to you relying on you to tell people who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so this weekend, actually, really fun. My friend Tommy Sobel, he started this initiative called Brick. And what it is is turning your phone into a brick <laughs> so you can connect with everyone in the room. So your phone doesn't exist for however long his events go for. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> and so this week he put like 50 of us in in Joshua Tree 
Right. Um, we put our phones in um, VCR cases <laughs> and we sealed them with like candle wax and then we kept them in our rooms and then we were all kind of like forced to interact with each other, like a whole bunch of strangers. And honestly, the most liberating weekend I've had in such a long time. All weekend? All weekend. Three days. Well, Friday to Sunday. And then there was a ceremony where we put the phones in the box. And then, like, on Sunday, there was a ceremony to open it again. And, you know, it was just, I invited, like, six of my friends. And then we were all kind of, like, with all these people. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, this is so fun. And so by the end of it, we walked away with all these new friends. We walked away so recharged and so connected to ourselves because we were, like, we went distracting ourselves with these phones. And... Oh my goodness, it's so life-changing. <laughs> like, you don't realize how addicted you are until you're off it. Do you, did you get withdrawals, though? Did you not want to... Personally, no, because I, I, I essentially, like, and this is... I think this is something really important to know. Just because, you know, my Instagram is very busy, mm-hmm. I don't define myself through at all. And if anything, I try and avoid it as much as I can because I won't get any work done. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to bed, I put my phone on airplane mode, two hours before bed, sometimes one hour, depending on how long I'm working until. And then when I wake up, I don't turn it on for an hour because I want to be with myself and wake up and feel the morning and feel the air. And then when I'm ready to check my phone, I'll turn it off airplane mode and then all the emails come in and all the texts and all the missed calls. And I'm like, cool, I'm ready to face the world because I've spent time with myself. And that's, that's like, I, I really encourage anyone who's listening to do that because it doesn't only affect your, it doesn't only advance your mental health in a positive way. You're also allowing yourself to rest through the night, knowing that nothing is going to wake you up when you check your phone. Mm-hmm. And then you're also giving your mind a rest too, because it's the same thing. No one, you know, there's not these people waiting for you until you want them to wait for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. things like that I think are so important, but people don't really talk about these things because. Mm. Again, social media as like a new technology, whatever, is fairly new. So there's no education. We're all kind of learning about it from videos we see or articles we read online. Do you think we should teach these kinds of things in schools and or in some in some way? Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, while we're just while we're talking about schooling, you know, we have been teaching the kids the same thing for the past however a hundred yeah. years. And we have advanced so much as as a society. Um, and so I feel like everything the kids are learning in school right now are no longer relevant mm-hmm. to how they should survive once they leave school. Mm-hmm. Or even, like, not even when they graduate, when they leave the premise. Like, sure. we are not preparing our children the way the way they need to be prepared. And until this, the schooling system needs to change entirely because it's no longer relevant to learn math, English, no, <laughs> science. No. Like, no, like yeah. we need to like craft the kids to learn based on behavioral traits and skill sets. And that's not, that doesn't exist. It's like they're all lumped and forced to do every single subject until... They get to decide once they go to college which ones they want to major in. But it needs to be, they need to be majoring from the start in like whatever their skill sets lead them to do. Anyway. So so you're clearly very passionate about that. Well, I don't think about it a lot, but I just know, like, I know how much we've changed. And it no longer makes sense for a kid who absolutely fucking sucks at math to do math. Like, you don't need to do it. 
we have iPhones now. We have calculators. Like, I'm not saying don't learn. Like, learn how to do the fundamentals. The, base, the fundamentals, yeah. but you don't need to learn calculus. I'm sure. Like, I've never needed to apply calculus into my life. Like, mm. I failed math in high school. Same. Like, it was my like spare subject that I just needed to do. So, I can, mm. yeah. But like, do you want to have kids one day? Absolutely. And would you send them to a uh, how many? Oh. I'm going to say two minimum. <laughs> okay, two minimum. Would you Ten se- max. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Would you send them to like a normal school or would you... No, 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 no. I... <laughs> You've already got this plan. Yeah, no, I've thought about this. Um, I think I would want to... I would want to be... I would want to raise my children and give them the freedom to express. And I want to be able to observe them and see the things that they're good at and then have them ultimately decide what they would prefer to do. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully I will be wealthy enough to have specific mentors come in to help them develop their skill sets. But 100% will make them learn five languages. Really? Yeah. How many languages do you know? I know two. Okay. <laughs> oh, two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Arabic and some Italian. What five languages would they learn? Um, the thing, whatever languages will be most relevant at the time, but I I'm going to say they have to know Arabic. They have to know obviously English and, um, Spanish because Spanish is extremely universal. Um, I would, I want to personally learn Japanese, but I feel like Mandarin's probably going to be more the more universal yeah. language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then French or Italian, but that would be up to them. Wow. Yeah. Busy but you know, kids. when they're young, they can do it so well. And and I want to be able to um, move around to different countries while I'm raising my kids, so they are able to um, See other immerse the li- in the lifestyle of the language uh, they're learning. So, why is language so important to you for your, for your kids? Because I travel a lot, and I don't feel as connected to a city knowing I can't speak the language. Mm. And so I want I want I want to be able to give them that power. And you know, my my life plan is in four years. Four or six years, I'm going to take time off to raise kids and then learn these languages with them. So, oh, yeah. And travel with them. To and the travel countries. with them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping four years. I definitely can. I would have babies now. I just, I love. You need to find the right person, yeah. presumably. And I mean, I, it's not even that. I, <laughs> I have too much work to do right sure. now, but in four years, I'm hoping it'll be a bit more chill. And you need to find someone that's down to travel to all these countries with these babies, teaching them all these languages. I, I mean, the partner is optional. <laughs> I might even adopt, like, who really? knows? Yeah. Do I'm you, super independent. Like, I don't know. Do you, are you misunderstood? Am I misunderstood? Mm-hmm. Uh, in what context? In, I'll just leave it there. Hmm. Um, hopefully not, because I try to be as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes, I would say when I was struggling with, like, insecure attachments, I feel like my love language was misplaced. And so, you know, my way of expressing love wasn't reciprocated and that obviously drove me insane. But I've progressed so much now that I understand we all have different ways of communicating love mm-hmm. and I feel more at ease knowing that. Sure. Yeah. Okay, this is my last question. Okay. Um, it's been very interesting. Um, we're sat at a table now. There are 
how many chairs there? Eight. There's eight chairs. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to get rid of two chairs because that's too many. But um, there's, let's say there's six chairs here. Mm-hmm. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. The other two have been pulled away. So there's technically there is six. And me and you occupy two of them. Mm-hmm. There's four empty seats here. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a big dinner party. Phone's going to go into a cassette, whatever, a brick or whatever. Um, who do you invite, invite anybody dead or alive, who do you invite to this dinner party and why? And also, what are we going to be eating at this dinner party? Okay, such a fun question. This actually came up on Sunday and I'm stealing oh. Noah's answers. <laughs> <laughs> so Noah, Noah and I were playing a game um, where we had to ask each other five questions and that one came up, uh, who would you bring to an island? Um, and his answers were so good that I'm stealing them. Uh, <laughs> this is not original. <laughs> but um, I would bring my five-year-old self interesting to the dinner party to the dinner party okay. i would bring god no you gotta say why i want to know why the oh, okay are... okay so if my adult self right now can talk to my inner child and she's traveling from the past into the future sure so she gets to go back okay i would love to have her at this dinner table to witness who she would she, she has become mm-hmm. and then be able to advise her and i think in doing that even though it won't change where i'm at mm-hmm. now it would be healing for me. And what would you what would you advise her? What would you say? Oh, so many things. I, <laughs> um, I think the thing that I didn't hear at all, and I it would have probably saved my uh, emotional state. I probably wouldn't have anxiety. Is just knowing I was safe mm-hmm. and I wasn't alone um, because I was in with a, in a room full of people all the time, and I felt the most unprotected. And it was because of things that everyone around me wasn't aware of. So I would tell her she was safe. I would tell her she wasn't alone. And I would tell her to fight and use her voice. Because in our society, as Middle Easterns, we are conditioned to stay silent as women. So I think that's, I would love to tell her that. And then I would invite God. God. I would invite a higher power, whoever that is, and like to just come and hang out. And then I'd probably invite Rami Malik because I'm really, I don't know, I have a huge fascination with him Mm -hmm. and his characters that he portrays on television. Interesting dynamic, this dinner party. (laughs) God talking to your five-year-old self and Rami Malik. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'd ask who he would invite. So you'd let him bring a plus one? You can bring a plus one, but they have to be interesting interesting yeah okay well listen uh, i'm very inspired by you i think a lot of people are as i said you've um uh, of all the people that i've brought onto this podcast the hysteria when um, people found out that you were coming on was unmatched and i think that speaks to the the positive impact you're having on people by being your true self and you're clearly incredibly talented you're you know yourself self-built you manage yourself as you said um you do you're a very self-made person and i think that gives a lot of people a lot of power in themselves and their own self-belief so thank you for being you thank you for the time today and um where do people find you and your i mean you're everywhere but <laughs> where can people find you if they want to reach out or um i think instagram is probably the best the best place it's just sarah baba but it's actually pronounced baba but you can you can say baba that's fine i've accepted it (laughs) okay amazing thank you so much thank you thank you for providing a space for me to express no worries you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level 
And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Thank you for being so open. <laughs> you know, it's really refreshingly open. So thank you. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.